Good morning, everybody. As I'm walking over here to get a music stand, let me just uh, remind you that John Tollickson, he heads up men's ministry, is still looking for a few more men to uh, help out with the car winterization program. That'll be next Saturday, the 21st. If you're available to help out with that, uh, you can just grab one of those slips of paper. They'll be available at the welcome desk. And John has a pile of them, too. I'm not sure John is in this service, but... Uh, anyway, oh yeah, he's standing right there waving them at me in the back. Thank you, John. Just meet with him and he will um, let you know what you need to know. So just over a week ago, Americans watched with a whole lot of heartfelt anticipation over what was going to happen as a result of the election. And I'm guessing that most people here are still feeling that. What is it that's going to happen? Again, emotions were running very high. I think for most of us, we felt as though there were two different Americas that we could be heading towards. I suspect the, the America we may be getting is not necessarily one I'm particularly happy about. And it seems that we're already quickly seeing a marginalization of Christianity itself in America. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you sort of feel that sense that Christianity could be becoming more and more marginalized. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that that could be a pretty well-founded feeling. As a matter of fact, this past week, one of the Supreme Court justices uh, was addressing the conservative Federalist Society. This appeared in an article. But he said this, the question we face is whether our society will be inclusive enough to tolerate people with unpopular religious beliefs. That came from Samuel Alito. Then he goes on to say that Christians deserve the same protections as any of the religious minority groups in cases over which he has presided throughout the years. Now, I think it's very telling that on that level, this is being addressed. The question I believe that you and I need to ask ourselves is, how much hope do we need to put in a quote-unquote better America? Do you feel a sense of deep despair? And what goes with that? And actually, what I want to focus on today, because you've seen this in memes that have been flying across Facebook, what does it mean to have Jesus as our king in such a time as this? We say it, we believe it, but what in fact does that mean in the kind of moment that I think that we're facing right now? The text we're going to look at this morning brings into view God's people. They desperately wanted an earthly king in spite of warning after warning after warning. But they're going to get what they ask for. If you would, please stand with me. We're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so uh, feel free to sit down if this gets to be too lengthy. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, 
Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. You may be seated. So the people would get what they wanted. And we're continuing this morning in this book of Samuel looking at these people in the middle of a major transition. And they're going to have faith as they go through a major transition, faith in God. By the way, I want to make sure I thank uh, Nick Angeloff for showing up last week and preaching a fantastic message on service. We were quarantined. Uh, I'm thankful he was able to step up and do that. Service has always got to be uh, in the, one of the foremost uh, priorities for us as Christians. Um, so I, I thank him for that. Again, this morning we're moving on and we're looking at this next chapter where we are going to see people who are having a major crisis of faith. And I want to look at the text this way because the challenge is not so different from what we face today, really. On the one hand, uh, we love and we care for our country. We want what's best for her and for our children. But see, then there's this completely other and different kingdom for which I am a citizen and God himself presides over this kingdom. So I'd like to move through the text this way. First of all, uh, we'll see the actions of the people. 
we'll see that they acted sinfully, then they acted impatiently, then they acted cowardly. And then we'll talk about, well, what does it mean to accept Christ as my king in these times that we're living in right now? And I think we'll very much find ourselves in these other three categories as well. So, let's talk about this. And first, we see that God's people acted sinfully. And if you look at verse 5, it says, They said to him, these are these elders of Israel, living in this time of Samuel, speaking to Samuel, Look, you're old, and your sons don't follow your way, so now appoint over us a king to lead us, just like all the other nations have. Now they've rightly discerned what's going on. Samuel's sons have turned out to be rotten. We don't exactly know why. It sounds a lot like the last guy, Eli, whose sons Hophni and Phinehas acted much the same way. We're seeing a pattern here. But in this, they've also revealed their motives. They want to be just like the other nations. They're tired of being who they are. And they want security, ironically, and they want it on their own terms. One commentator puts it this way. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Israelites of Samuel's day attempt to cross over the divinely ordained boundaries in order to become something they were not created to be and are not supposed to be. They recognize the problem. Unfortunately, they devised their own way and method of dealing with it. Adam and Eve thought they could shortcut their way to knowledge. They had this serpent that said, just eat this and you'll know what God knows. It's as simple as that. They doomed mankind. See, God's ways are just not our ways and vice versa. <clears throat> what are you being tempted to do right now? Um... Something that's wrong, something that you may say, well, Chad, you just don't understand. This is just the way everybody does it. You see, it's when we try to find our identity in something outside of God, I think it's when we endure these major temptations to do something that we ought not do. In other words, if you find yourself really wanting to find your worth and value in the possessions that you have, you're going to be tempted to do things you ought not to do to be something God doesn't want you to be. If you have an identity of being a really good student, you're going to be tempted to go and cheat to get those grades, to keep them, because that's such a part of your identity that you don't want to lose it. That's what's going on here in Israel, and that's what can so easily happen in our own lives. It's when we go outside of being who God wants us to be, to find our identity in something other than Him, that we're being tempted to do things that we know we shouldn't do. I get it. You could just glance over there and raise your C to a B. Listen, C's are not that bad. When I was in college, I made plenty of them. And sometimes it was the D for diploma. I was happy to get them. And guess what? You know, this church never asked me about my GPA. They never asked. See, having Jesus as our king means he accepts who he has made us to be. He's the one who truly knows you, and he's the one who we ultimately want to please. 
Now, in addition to acting sinfully, we see the impatience of God's people as well. Now, if they'd been paying attention, they would have known that God's ultimate plan for them was to give them a king. As a matter of fact, he, he tells them this back in the book of Genesis. He's having a conversation with, with Abraham, the father of Israel, and he says, I will make the nations of you and kings will come from you. That was the plan. The problem with Israel is their timing. They don't want to wait. They want one right now. Then they're warned of exactly what's going to happen if they get the king they want. God himself said, I am to be your king at this time. But if you look in verse 7, it says, um, For it is not that they have rejected you, speaking to Samuel, but it is me they have rejected as their king. Can you get a better king than God himself? This would have been a theocracy. That was the plan at this time, where God is directly leading. So there's a message for us in this, don't be impatient. Wait. Wait for God's perfect plan. Don't try to shortcut things. <clears throat> I went to a number of graduation parties uh, this past year, even though we were in the middle of the COVID thing. It was all kind of strange. But what, in, in some occasions, they would ask you to write just a piece of advice on a slip of paper for a graduating senior. And what I found myself writing again and again and again, it was the same thing, really. I kept saying, don't date somebody you wouldn't marry. This is something Aunt Joe must have told me a hundred times before she died just a few years ago. This was back whenever I was a teenager and I was dating Aunt Joe. God bless her. Joe Ann Cadle told me, Chad, don't date someone you wouldn't marry. Why did she keep telling me that? She didn't want me to be unequally yoked with somebody. She said, just wait. Don't try to force yourself on God's plan. Don't try to shortcut his best for you. Whether that be in marriage or uh, a business deal or a decision you're facing, don't do something sinful. Wait. Just hold on. It's never right to do the wrong thing to try to make something right. Hold on. God does things in his own time, and he's shaping us into the people that we want to be in his time through his ways. Because Christ is our king, we can be patient for that utopia that we all want. It's not going to be realized regardless of who may be sitting in the White House. Wait. There's a perfect kingdom that's coming. One more observation about God's people in this passage <clears throat> is that they acted cowardly. <clears throat> Excuse me. They acted cowardly. Um, after being warned of what will happen if they take a king, as a matter of fact, if you look at verses 17 and 18, uh, it says, He will demand a tenth of your flocks. You yourselves will be his servants. And that day you'll cry out because of your king, whom you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you in that day. All of these warnings they received. <clears throat> and after all that, how did they respond? But the people refused to heed Samuel's warning. Instead, they said, No! There will be a king over us. We'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us and lead us and fight our battles. Now, to be fair, they had enemies all around them. I don't know, frankly, if we know what that's like. If uh, one of our mortal enemies lived to our north and to our south, that we weren't confident 
that our enemies could prevail over. That's what it would be like to be in their shoes right now. But see, it takes courageous faith to accept God's way for defending them. I would say that the United States has got the most powerful army that's ever been known to the history of man, but it wouldn't be true. Because this army that had the ark of God in front of it would be more powerful than any nuclear missile that could have been launched against it. But the people didn't want that. That's not what they were looking for. They wanted to be able to blame a political system for their problems <clears throat> and not their own unfaithfulness. See, there's lots of things in this world we think we can't live without that aren't bad in and of themselves, by the way. Retirement, a nice home, a big truck, you know, a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive. But see, it's when you think your security ultimately comes from those things. See, that's when we have a problem. There was a man, uh, his name was Philip Ponice. And he learned a hard lesson in regard to this. And Philip, uh, he, he had this really nice collection of watches. He started gathering together as a teenager. He wasn't quite sure what to do with them, so he put them in a safety deposit box back in 1983. Within an April of 2017, he went to his safety deposit box, and he opened it, and lo and behold, none of those priceless watches were in that safety deposit box. And as it turns out, the bank itself had no responsibility to recompense him for those watches. $10 million worth of watches were in that safety deposit box. He said, I thought my heart would fail. I was devastated. I never felt that way before in my life. He said, I never know when someone could have a feeling like that. It turns out his bank had evicted somebody for not keeping up with the payments but instead of throwing out that guy's box, they threw out his box. See, no bank can really guarantee the safety of our possessions. No doctor can guarantee you a long life. No insurance company can keep your house from burning down. But our eternal Father can unfailingly guarantee the protection of our eternal souls and our rewards in heaven. There's our security. Now, it takes courage, and it takes faith to live that way. So it takes courage to follow King Jesus. We have Jesus as our king. But see, we still have to cope with being here on earth, right? It's like, okay, I get it, Jesus is our king. But Chad, I'm living here in Sheridan, Wyoming, the United States of America, on the earth in the year 2020. Um, and... And as it turns out, God himself appoints leaders. Now, we have this democratic process in the United States of America, so probably nowhere else could your brain get twisted up trying to figure out, well, how is it that God appoints leaders and is in charge of all things, and yet we are the ones that go to the ballot box? I'm telling you, God's will is even done through that process. I spent a lot of money at a seminary to get all the answers to to figure out how God's sovereignty and man's will come together, they can't really give you the answers, okay? Now, you can twist yourself up in knots over this, but it's just the truth. God appoints leaders. It's a good reminder, Romans chapter 13. 
Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. If, in fact, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected to leadership, Christians could, can and should lead the way in demonstrating this kind of subjection to them. Those are God's words. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I also have a king to whom I ultimately serve. Above all else. And what does service to this king mean? In other words, how do I accept fully living in this world I'm living in right now, this kingship of Jesus Christ? I want to suggest four ways to do that. Well, first of all, by rejecting culture's lies. Rejecting culture's lies. There's tricky lies that our culture is throwing at us right now. Um, and all truth is God's truth, and all lies come from the devil. Part of the Israelites' problem was they believed the lies of the culture around them, that if they had the right king, then they would be properly protected. That would fix all their problems. There was a book that recently came out. As a matter of fact, I was talking to with a group of folks on Thursday evening called Live Not By Lies. And the author of that book is comparing pre-communist Russia to what's going on in America right now. He finds some pretty striking resemblances. It's a little unnerving, frankly, as I'm going through this book and seeing what it says. It was written based on an essay by a guy named Solzhenitsyn. He was an outspoken critic of the Soviet Union. He ended up being a political prisoner there, as a matter of fact. And if you wonder, how is it that communism and totalitarianism was able to go on and on and on? How was it that it was able to continue he boiled it down to something pretty simple. He said this, the system depends for its existence on a people's fear of challenging the lies. He said that our way must be never knowingly support lies. We live in a culture that wants to call men women and women men. And they're telling you that you need to call a woman he and a man she. I don't believe Christians should subject themselves to that. Because if Christ is our king, we can't perpetuate lies. Now, that could cost you very much one of these days. You may be working for a company that writes in its handbook that you might be subject to discipline if you don't comply with people's preferred gender pronouns. That's the age I think that we are getting into right now. We have to reject and not perpetuate the lies that are being circulated in the culture. And then secondly, we've got to pray for courage. Pray for courage. Um, I'm sure it wasn't easy for Samuel to relay God's message to the mob, but he could do no other. And it takes courage to do this. It takes courage to do this whole Christianity deal. And by doing it, you may be labeled something. You may be called a moral rebel. It's a new term out there now. It was actually given to these, many of these women who stood up against powerful men and corporations for injustices and things they were saying and doing to these women 
they were called moral rebels. And there's a wonderful article that came out written by Katherine Sanderson. She says this about the moral rebel. She said, the moral rebel isn't afraid of occasional embarrassment or a lack of social harmony. They are far less concerned about conforming to the crowd. So when they do have to choose between fitting in and doing the right thing, they will probably choose to do what they see as right. The Christian outlook says, exactly! This is what the Christian does. And you've got to pray for courage to do this. I've got to pray for courage in order to do this. There's nothing easy about this. Nobody said this Christian walk was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, um, something our new associate pastor, RP, told me just recently. He said, you know, the New Testament really was never written to people living in a place like America that was friendly to Christianity. It was written to people who were going to be persecuted, that, frankly, they didn't see any other way. We need courage for this. It's not just about going along to get along. Third, and I think this is crucial, and I think this may be where the true battle is fought, is this idea of resisting comfort. Boy, I know this is true for me. Now, I'm not just talking about refusing to sit in the comfy chair, okay? I'm not talking about making, we need to make our houses, you know, painful to be in or anything like that. Um, that's not what I mean here. This is rather resisting the need to make comfort an idol in your life. Um, something that you're not living for. In that same book that I referenced earlier, Live Not By Lies, it also addresses this idol of comfort that most of us here in America have. Uh, Christians have to learn to accept suffering. There was a Baptist minister that lived in Russia during those communist years and remained a Christian, remained a Baptist minister throughout communism in Russia. And he said this, he said, this current ideology of comfort is anti-Christian in its very essence. See, I like to tell myself that if I had lived during the age of the rise of the Third Reich in Nazi Germany, that I would have made the difference, that I would have locked arms with Dietrich Bonhoeffer in resistance against Adolf Hitler. But would I really have done it? Because the truth is, there are very few people that are willing to make those kinds of sacrifices in order to forego their comforts and say, nope, no more. It's not an easy place to be. But accepting Jesus as your king may mean foregoing a lot of your current creature comforts. And then finally, enjoy his peace enjoy his peace that comes with serving our king jesus and this is a wonderful gift from god it also requires resisting all the counterfeits out there these israelites thought the key to peace was going to be their earthly king and lots of people um, lots of people and things would wish to rule you quite frankly but part of having christ as our king means that he rules every single area of our lives. He brings the good and the bad stuff of life. That's why we don't have to despair when things don't go our way. I read a story of a woman named Marge, and uh, Marge was about to take a flight. She was getting aboard a, a plane bound for Cleveland. She was waiting for the takeoff, and as she was getting into her seat, she noticed this strange phenomenon going on. 
On one side of the airplane, a sunset was just filling the, the, the sky with this glorious color. But on the other side of this, this plane were these storm clouds that were gathering with no sign of the sunset. But she, as she heard the sound of the engine spooling up, she started saying this to herself. You've noticed the windows. And your life, too, will contain some happy, beautiful times, but some dark shadows. Here's a lesson to save you much heartache and allow you to abide in God with continual peace and joy. You see, it doesn't matter which window you look through, this plane is still going to Cleveland. So it is in your life. You have a choice. You can dwell on the gloomy picture, or you can focus on the bright things and leave the dark, ominous situations to Him. God alone can handle them anyway. The final destination is not influenced by what you see and hear along the way. Learn this, act on it, and you will be released, able to experience the peace that passes all understanding. Our destination is not going to change. We're headed to heaven one way or another. So putting this together, courageously follow King Jesus. Mm -hmm. Courageously follow King Jesus. Let me pray for us. Almighty God, our King Jesus, you, unlike any other king, ransomed your own life to save us all. You ransomed your own life so that we could know that our eternal destination is set. No matter how gloomy or ominous the storm clouds may be, that is not going to change where we are going to spend our eternity. Lord, I pray for anyone here right now that may not know you, that they wouldn't hesitate after this service to come forward to talk with me or another elder. God, I pray that you would press upon them right now that they need to make sure the salvation they can have through you, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would not be overwhelmed by our current circumstances. I pray that we would not look to any earthly leader to bring about some notion of a utopia here in the United States. God, you told us things are not going to get better before you come back. As a matter of fact, it'll be quite the opposite. Give us the courage to live faithfully day by day, keeping our eyes set on you, setting our mind on things above and not here below. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.